turn with me. Your copy of God's Word will be in Acts chapter 20 here this morning. Uh, this day and age that we live in, we have this uh, celebrity type culture that we're in today. We're just drawn to and, and uh, we, we want to be in front of these different types of celebrities and fawn over them. And it's gone further than, you know, what my favorite musician is or maybe what your favorite uh, actor or actress is. And now we have celebrity pastors. We have people that stand on these grand stages and fill rooms up to, to the rafters, uh, these, these mega churches. And we, we have the, the face of these conglomerates that they are today that we, we know as celebrity pastors. And we treat them like our favorite actor. We treat them like our favorite uh, actress and songwriters, whatever have you, artists, author. And we, we fawn over them. And, and sometimes uh, many of these people just follow with, without even thinking about what's going on, thinking about what they're saying. I, I would submit to you that many of these uh, mega pastors, so-called celebrity pastors, are more motivational speakers than they are gospel preachers. I watch some of these guys. They, they get up on the stage and oh, great ovation, but they don't, they don't have a Bible in hand. But when they get, they start talking and they, they want to rev everybody up and maybe they'll have a verse on the screen where we'll talk about all the great things you can have in your life, all the great things you can do and be in your own life, how you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps, how successful you can be, how much money you can make. But God is not in it. God is not in the message. God is not in the building nobody's being edified people are leaving maybe they, they're charged up and they're excited because yes i heard a great message i can do it but then they need to be charged up again the next week because they as they they face the battles as we just sang about they face the storms in their lives they're like well it's not working out maybe i can't do it maybe there's something wrong with this god that I hear about at this so-called church because life is, shouldn't be this hard. The, the pastor said it shouldn't be hard. The pastor said I can have anything and everything that I want, but it's not working out. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I, I can't pay my electricity bill. There's something wrong with this God. Maybe, Maybe I need to deconstruct. You, you, maybe you've heard this term. A lot of people are deconstructing their faith now, which, which means they're, they're breaking down everything that they have learned or heard so-called in the church and like, well, maybe this is not true. Maybe it's not right. I'm going to break these things down and, and see if this, is, if this thing I should be following. Should I be following this God of the Bible? Should I be following Buddha? Should I be following Mormonism, whatever have you? And as you go through the process, and if you're not familiar with this term deconstruction, if you've been to a, a fancy re restaurant and had a, a meal that is deconstructed like a, a deconstructed jambalaya or something, they have everything separated out in its singular parts. I once uh, went to a place that had a, a deconstructed uh, a sandwich, and they had, it, had, it was like an open-faced sandwich they, they, they deconstructed. But this is what we're doing with our faith. We're, we're taking 
all these bits and pieces apart and we're looking at these individual pieces and making up in our own minds whether it's something I want or not. And many of this is causing people to walk away from the church. Because when you take it and you start using your own mind, your own understanding, like, well, none of this makes sense. None of this makes sense to me, so it can't be true. None of this works for me, so it can't be true. And people are walking away from the church because of it. These celebrity pastors, they're, meanwhile, they're, they're still doing their rah-rah on the platform. If you give me more money, you will be blessed. If you sow a seed, I just heard this thing, you sold $222 in 2022, you will be blessed. What, what chapter verse that from? Brothers and sisters, we are going in a dangerous direction. And if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we're going to be following along with these deconstructionists, with these so-called celebrity pastors. That stuff sounds good. Don't get me wrong. These folks are great orators. They are great more motivational speakers. They are slick with it when it comes to their speech. They are good communicators. I can learn a few things from being a better communicator from them. But when it comes to delivering the word of God, that is what's most important. Today in the book of Acts, Paul is talking to the leaders at Ephesus. And he's warning them at the time. He's like, hey, don't worry about these slick preachers. Don't worry about all these other things that are going on. Guard yourself. Guard your heart and follow Jesus. It's hard to imagine that Paul wrote these words so many years ago, and here we are today. And it is relatable. It is real as it was back then for us here in 2022. It's unbelievable. As we pick up our text this morning, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and He's going there for Pentecost. And as he is on his way, he stops in Miletus to encourage and invest the, in, in the elders and the leaders. Remember, when Paul is on these missionary journeys, his whole goal is go and to encourage. He's going to, to, to meet with the churches that have already been planted. He's going and checking in on them. How you doing? Love on them. Pray for them and encourage them. Look with me in verse 17 of chapter 20 of the book of Acts. It says, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And uh, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know that how I lived among you and uh, the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So uh, Ephesus wasn't very far from Miletus, and so he called to them and said, hey, I'm kind of in the area. Why don't you stop by? You know, let's, let's chop it up a little bit. I want to encourage you. I want to love on you. I want to pray for you. And he goes in, and uh, these, what we notice here is the Ephesian church leaders are called elders here and later. When we, when we look, they're also called overseers. And often is translated also as bishops. So who, these are folks who are called to care or shepherd 
the flock, this role that we particularly uh, usually call pastor these days, are used interchangeably here in the scripture. He's used interchangeably as elder or overseer, but it refers to the same office. You know, these are the leaders of the church, um, and we see them called by different, different names very freely here in the text. You know, I love this shepherding metaphor because uh, the pastor's not a cowboy. The pastor's not going off by himself, doing his own thing, and, and, and making all these things happen. And, and also what we see, the, the pastor is not a CEO. That's become more popular these days where you have the executive pastor and things of that nature. The pastor is not a CEO. This is not a, a business that we're running per se. The pastor also certainly isn't a rock star celebrity. But Paul addresses this very, very quickly. And he, he says, look, guys, you know me. You've seen me before. We've hung out. We've broken bread together. You, you know how I operate. We, we've served alongside each other. Paul knew the needs of the people and, and how to apply God's word to those who had those needs. If you remember earlier in the chapter, um, Paul, was, he stayed up all night with people, uh, preaching and, and teaching and talking with them about the scriptures. And they were eating it up. They were, they were loving it. This can only happen if he knew the people and they knew him and felt comfortable with them. There, there was some trust that was built up in this relationship because of what he had done with them. You see, Paul, he, he wasn't the celebrity type and he, he didn't run his ministry in a way where he was hidden away from people. He was there in the midst of them. And I've been to some larger churches with pastors and it was amazing you know, how they, they're just, they come out when it's time for their speech. You know, it's too many people for them to walk around and shake hands and get to know folks. So they just kind of hide out in the back, in the green room, until it's their time to, to come out. That's not the ministry that Paul led. Following in his example prior to the pandemic, you know, Libby and I were really trying to uh, meet with each of you in your homes to, to meet with you and to kind, of, kind of get to know you, right? And see uh, where, not only where you live, but uh, how you lived and how we can be helpful. We wanted to hear your story, your story of conversion, how long you've been at the church and all that. Kind of, we got to know uh, many of you very well just by spending some in your home. It's different when, uh, when we're here at the church, right? There's, there's a certain just, I don't know, air about it, but when, when you're in somebody's home, it's much more intimate. You can get to know each other much better that way. This is the entire reason for us moving from Plainfield to Bolingbrook is so that we can be in the community that we serve. And, and the house that we purchased, it was meant for us to be like a hub here in Bolingbrook so we can have you all over to our home as well, as, as well as our community. Every month I pray for each of, you, of the families that are represented here uh, everybody that comes through these doors, I want to be praying for. And I count it a privilege to be praying for each and every one of you. So, um, Nancy, I know has been reaching out to, to each and every one of you, let you know, hey, Pastor Vaughn's going to be praying for you this, this coming week. What are your prayer requests? Thank you so much for entrusting me with those prayer requests so that I could be lifting you up to the Lord. Um, that, again, that helps me really to get to know you, get, your, get to know your, your needs and wants and where you are and so that I can be able to serve you better as we continue on. 
Am I perfect at it? Not by a long stretch. <laughs> I, I got a lot of improvement uh, in that area to go, but um, I want to continue to find ways to be involved in your life. Because again, that's how I can serve you. That's the only way I can serve you. Uh, if, if I'm uh, doing life with you and understanding where you are, be praying for you or in the trenches with you or whatever the case may be. As your pastor, I strive to be a shepherd that knows the flock, uh, one who, who prays for the flock, one who, who feeds the flock, and, and also, most importantly, protects the flock from wolves. And this is why I'm talking about this celebrity culture, because I think it's a dangerous road for us to go down. I'm not saying all mega churches are bad, but there's a lot <laughs> that are going sideways. Believe it or not, it's only 1% of churches that are mega churches. 90% of churches are much like ours. We are what we call a normative size church. You know, churches that are 100 members or below or 200 or below are normative size churches. So we shouldn't be ashamed or worried about that. We're just like 90% of the other churches around. But when we think about church, we tend to think of those mega churches that are filled with thousands of thousands of people. But that only represents a small percentage of churches that we have in this day and age. In verse 19 Paul says, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. As Paul is serving, everything that Paul did was in service to the Lord. Everything from, from building tents to ministering to new believers or evangelizing, he did it all for Jesus. He had a singular focus on what he was doing and why he was doing it. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but isn't that a good perspective for us? Isn't it good to look at all the things that we're doing in our own lives and, and say we're doing it for Jesus, we're doing it for Christ, this is why we do the things that we do? When we're serving someone, it, wouldn't it be better just to have our minds focus on Jesus as the one that we're ultimately serving? Look, I know what it's like to not want to get up in the morning and go to work. I know what it's like to have a boss that uh, probably doesn't, shouldn't be in the position that they're in. I know what it's like to, to have a boss and think like, they, they, they're causing more harm than good. They have no idea what's going on in this place. And that's, that's frustrating, isn't it? That I know how that, that can bring me down just thinking about the boss. I got to work for this person. I know what it is to, to struggle in this way. But what if we had the mindset that it wasn't ultimately your crazy boss that you were working on? What, what if you had the, the idea and the thought that ultimately you were there to serve the Lord? Not your weird boss that doesn't know what they're doing but we serve a higher boss that, that knows any and everything. And the best boss that you can ever serve, one that's so loving, so merciful, so, so great, great, grace, graceful, grace-filled. What if we had that mind? Colossians 3 and 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving Lord Christ. Man, what, that would totally change the perspective. It might make it easier to get out of bed that morning, wouldn't it? Knowing that, well, I'm going to go through these struggles and strife, but forget the, the, my earthly boss here at this job. I'm going to serve my heavenly boss. That makes all the mundane things mean that much more. So who or what do you serve? I want you to consider this today. Who or what do you serve? You see, Jesus takes everything that is done in his name very seriously. I don't care what it is that you're doing from a day-to-day basis. If you're, you're, you're serving coffee at the Starbucks, or you're, you're flipping burgers, you're in a technology field, whatever it is that you're doing, you're answering phone calls, or maybe you're retired. Who or what do you serve? Even in the most mundane things that you do throughout the day, these things matter, and it gives our lives and our ministries meaning for what it is that we do. There's books and books that are filled in a library and in bookstores about finding your purpose. Uh, who, who should you be? Who, how, how are you uh, wired and how do you operate? Tons and tons of pages written on this. But when we can just go to the Bible and understand that God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us, that he distills it down, that, that we should uh, uh, be a disciple and we should make disciples. It's easy, but that, that, that doesn't sell off the shelves. Maybe you should add some more meat around it or, or something else, but it's very easy and it's clear for us what it is that our purpose and meaning will be for our lives. But as we're going through, and, and even though we're doing it for the Lord, it does make it a little easier, but it's not simple. It won't be without struggle. It won't be without challenges. Paul says he serves with humility through tears and through trials. Paul was able to do this because he had a proper view of the gospel. When we understand the gospel and we apply it to our lives, it it, it actually humbles us. When we really get and understand the gospel, We find ourselves being humbled. It makes us more caring. It makes us more courageous. And we've got to constantly be preaching the gospel to ourselves. Because if you're anything like me, man, you get busy. You start doing things and punching off stuff in your task list. And you forget. You you get in that that, that mundaneness again and you struggle through stuff. And you forget to, to, to remind yourself of the gospel. We've got to have this top of mind. When you look at what Jesus has done for you, the least that you can do is treat people well. When you look at what Jesus has done for you, the least you can do is is give people a bit of your time. In comparison to what Jesus has done for you, the least you can do is be more hospitable. The least you can do is spend 20 minutes a day reading your Bible. The least you can do is use your gifts for God's church. When you look at all the things that Jesus 
has done for you. I mean, it's literally the least you can do. Literally the least you can do. As Christians, we serve with humility because we know we don't deserve grace. We don't deserve any of the things that we, we have from God. We are beggars in need of salvation. When Christ gave up his life so that we can be brought into his kingdom. Man, what a, what a great thing that, that Christ has done for us, even though we didn't deserve it. That should make us willing to do whatever needs to be done in order for the gospel to be proclaimed in, in Bolingbroke and, and elsewhere. Again, it's the least that you can do. The gospel makes us care for people. The gospel is, makes us courageous because uh, what, what is there to fear other than God? Paul, when he writes his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 1 and 21, he says, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That was his perspective on what he was doing and what his life was. Well, here we are afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. Well, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. There is much more at stake, brothers and sisters, than hurt feelings. We have eternity here at stake. Paul cares so deeply for the people that he weeps for them. He shed tears for multiple reasons. Uh, he, he shares some tears because there are people who still don't know Christ. In Romans 9 and 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's like, I would give all this up for your sake. Oh man, but we 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 don't want to talk to talk about the gospel. We don't want to share. We have the greatest news that man has ever known. We're like, well, I I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to be mad at me. But the, the whole goal is so that they can know the good news and they can have the hope that you got, hopefully. They can know the Jesus that you know. Man. Paul says he would rather give it up so that others might be able to know. He also weeps for people who are struggling, these, these immature believers in 2 Corinthians 2 and 4. He says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, do not cause you pain, but to let you know the abundance love that I have for you. Man, I wish we loved people that much. I wish we loved our friends and family that much. I wish we loved strangers that much. We need to have a heart for people because of the gospel. This is not a message that we can keep to ourselves. We like to share a lot of other things, but the most important thing needs to be on the tip of our tongue, needs to be at the front of our lips. And by the way, there's, there's no bad place to share the gospel. This not only is this not a message that we keep to ourselves, but uh, we need to be ready and able to share it. And, and we never ourselves graduate from the gospel. Look with me in verse 20 of, of uh, Acts 20. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public 
and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't hesitate to share the gospel. Like, well, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theologian. That's not what the text calls you to be. Jesus calls us to be disciples. He calls us to make disciples. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Other uh, versions say it will not return void, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We're reading through the book of Exodus now, if you're with us on our reading plan, and reading about Moses as he goes to talk to Pharaoh. Moses, he steps up and it's like, I can't even talk good. What do you mean I'm going to be a spokesman for your people? He tries to get out of it, and God is so gracious with him. It's like, don't worry about it, Moses. I'll send Aaron with you. Don't worry about it, Moses. You do exactly what I tell you, and it'll be all good. I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. Man, what an example that is for us. Because we have those same excuses. I, I'm, not, I'm not a very good orator. Uh, people won't listen to me. I don't know how to act. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to think. God says, I, I got you. you. You say the things that I tell you to say. You, 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 you preach the gospel. You, you give your testimony. And he says, his word will not come back empty. It will not return to him void. It will accomplish his purpose and succeed in the thing for which he sent it. That should give us some confidence today. It's not all on your shoulders that we are infused with the Holy Spirit that is, is shaping us, molding us, guiding us into what he would have us to be. So we don't need to worry about all that. We just need to be obedient and preach the gospel. Look with me in verse 22. Paul says, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul valued Jesus above any and everything, even his own life. He valued Jesus above his comfort as well as his life. Paul says he was constrained by the Holy Spirit, and this indicates that the Holy Spirit was giving Paul an ex exceptionally strong sense of compulsion. The Holy Spirit was there and giving the compulsion that he had to go quickly and directly to Jerusalem, even though he knew that imprisonment and afflictions were waiting for him there. He knew what was in front of him. And as I read this, I wonder, I wonder if Paul was thinking about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, where he went to die, and I wonder if he thought he might see this same end as he goes there. But regardless, Paul knew he had a job to do. Paul knew what was next and what he needed to do. And here's what he said in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and 7. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Brothers and sisters, if, if you were to take your last breath today, how many of you could say that? You fought the good fight. You finished the race. But you have kept the faith. You see, the goal is not living a long life. The goal is to have a full life. One that is lived for God's glory instead of our own being worried about all the stuff that we can accumulate. It's about how much we can lift God up. In our celebrity culture, we have these fanboys and fangirls. Oh, I've seen all your movies. I've seen uh, uh, everything that you've done. I've listened to all your songs. I know every one of them by heart. I've read all your books. I can't believe it. So good to meet you. When I was growing up, Michael Jackson was at the, at the height of his popularity. And I remember seeing videos of him performing and you can see the first few rows and they're, they're screaming at the top of their lungs and they're crying and, and passing out. And I remember, what are they crying for? What's, what's happening? What's really going on? I remember thinking this as a kid, these celebrities, they don't know your name. They don't know who you are. And sure, they, I'm sure they, they, they uh, appreciate the support. And you buying a ticket, buying a song, buying a book, I'm sure. But they won't die for you. Even if they did die for you, it wouldn't mean anything. All the while, there's someone by the name of Jesus. All the while, we have this, this one and only Son of God who, who came to earth and put on flesh to live a life that you couldn't live, to pay the price that you couldn't pay, to cover all of your sin and shame, to defeat the enemy and conquer the grave, all so that you can live. And not live any kind of old life, by the way. Live a life that is full, that is abundant. This is the one that we should be flocking to. This is the one that we should be jumping up and down for. I know we Baptists, but man, come on. If you can jump up and down for the Chicago Bears, you better be reaching the ceiling when we talk about Jesus. This is the one that we should be flocking to. This is the one that we should be shedding tears about because of what he did for us. This is the, the only book that we need to read cover to cover. This is the one that we should know by heart. The hymns, the songs that we sing are the songs that we should all know word for word. This is the one that we should know. His name is Jesus. This is exactly what Paul was trying to get across to his hearers and also to us by extension as well. He wanted us to understand how meaningful and important this is. This is. Paul makes it clear that he's done a lot of the work. He, he's gone and he's proclaimed the gospel to them and he's not going to be held responsible for them messing it up. He's not going to be held responsible for the foolishness they manufacture. This is like the stuff we got going on today. Look, here's the gospel. Read it. Pray over it. Get to know the Lord. 
but we want to add our own stuff to it. They was doing it back in the day. I want to make much of myself instead of making much of God. He went through great pains to teach the whole counsel of God. And it's important to help people to understand God's redemptive plan as it unfolds in Scripture. That's why we read through the Bible every year together, because we want to see this all unfold to get the whole counsel of God. And even though some parts of God's word, it's unpopular or difficult, Paul didn't shy Paul was like, here, here it is. Let's deal with it. And it's because of Paul's courageous example that preachers today should have the confidence to preach the entirety of God's word just like he did. This is why I preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, because it forces me to deal with God's word. I can, I can stick with the stuff that I feel most comfortable with, and probably the most comfortable for you too, but we, you need to have, I need to have the entire counsel of God. And we're gonna deal with subjects that aren't popular. We're gonna deal with subjects that aren't comfortable. We're gonna deal with subjects that's gonna go against some of the things that you think is good or well-meaning, but it's so that we get to know God better. So that we get to know how he instructs us to live. Paul tells the spiritual leaders to guard their own spirituality and moral purity. He tells them to watch their lives and be holy. Holiness is necessary for faithfulness. Again, we talked about uh, other folks. You might be a good speaker. You might be a good leader. But if you're not holy, you got no ministry. I, I make myself, uh, you know, I... I I'm not holier than thou. Sometimes I have to like, it's time to read the Bible. It's time to sit down. I'm like, I got to shut out everything else and I got to make myself focus because I got other things that I want to do, but I know this is most important. I got to focus and I got to deal with my own stuff, my own morality, my own holiness, and then make sure that I'm following Jesus. Then he also calls Paul does, he calls leaders to watch the flock. Paul, through revelation from the Holy Spirit, has this insight to know that Ephesus would be ravaged by false preachers after their own gain. He knew what was coming. He knew there was danger ahead. These folks would not only come externally, but also come internally. These folks would be raised up and, and start out, oh man, this is, this, this is pretty cool. I, I want to be like Paul and I have people flocking to me and listening to every word. I want people to stay up all night listening to me talk too. Missing the point. These leaders need to first keep watch on themselves and also watch each other for the good of the flock. This is why uh, we as a church here at First Baptist Bolingbrook are working toward a plurality of elders, multiple elders. Uh, again, if we go back, when, when we see elder or overseer, it's synonymous with pastor. And we're working toward having more than one because, to be frank with you, um, this is what's needed. This is what's necessary to help us to guard each other from error, to help guard each other from arrogance and abuse. And this is what we see today in the church. We have a lot of these, if you read in the news stories, there's been a lot of pastors who have fallen 
because they don't have this in place. They have yes men in place. They might have some elders there, but um, they have this authority over them, like it's my way or the highway. And instead of being um, convicted of what God has called them to do, they just want to do their own thing. They want to be this celebrity. So it's uh, absolutely necessary that we don't have yes men, but we have men of God who is are faithful to the Lord and faithful to his word, faithful to his church, and that we would hold each other accountable. And I think that's uh, important here for us as well. And I need that accountability. I go outside of the church. I have pastors that I go to for this accountability, but I think it's even more powerful to have them inside of this, this local body as well. Paul challenges the elders to follow his ministry examples and to ensure that the word of God would remain central to their own ministries. You see, the word is used to build up, build up believers, is used to teach the gospel uh, uh, about the salvation of grace so that when we get to this final inheritance, it's received by those who belong to God and are sanctified. But as we read this, it, it makes me wonder. You know, Paul is going and he's talking to these leaders here that are from Ephesus. I wonder if we were to write a letter. We were to write a letter to the future leaders here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. I wonder what that message should be. We were kind of like Paul and going through, and of course we wanted to encourage those leaders, but if we were to focus them on something, what, what is it that we would have them to focus on? I think Paul hits the nail on the head and he brings up what's ultimately important as we look at the local church. He says we should guard against error, we should guard against evil people, and we should guard against division. And we should also continue to be aligned to God's mission. That's what matters. That's what's most important. It's not about church programming. It's all about advancing the kingdom of God. How do we do that? And here we are as a local body, as a local church made up of individual members. What is your role? How will you join God in his mission for the church? Look, we're not, we're not here to make celebrities. We're here to make much of Jesus. We're here to make him known. If anybody is celebrity, if anybody is worthy of this fandom, is Jesus. Man, I love for the community to know us in that way. To, to know us, man. I, those folks at First Baptist Bolingbrook, they just loved us some Jesus. They're always talking about Jesus. You notice that? They're always talking about what Jesus did and what he's doing now. And they're always here helping and, and stuff. And I asked them why they are over here picking up trash. They just, because of Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus didn't pick up trash, did he? I would love that for us. I would love for us to be known for that, that we would make much of Jesus, that he would be the celebrity and not us. If you've got questions today, I want to talk to you about that. One, if you, know, if you, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, maybe you're asking that question, is that what Jesus is all about? I'd love to have that conversation with you. And furthermore, Let's have a conversation about how God has uniquely gifted you to serve in his local church. We are a body made of many members. 
how has God gifted you to use the gifts that he's given for his glory? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this example that we have in your word, in your scripture that we can look at. And, and it is amazing that we see how much we can relate to what's happening there as Paul talks to the Ephesian leaders. Father, keep us on the narrow path so that we can be able to serve you. We can be able to make much of your name. We know the wide path is the road that leads to discussion, to destruction, but Father, put us back on the narrow. We know few will choose it, but we look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith so that we can be there for the, the good of you and your people. Help us be the people that you've called us to be. Father, I thank you so much for loving us in this way. And it's in the precious name of Jesus I pray this. Amen.